Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Jenny Saft is the co-founder and CEO of April. From her own experience with egg freezing, Jenny realised how poorly serviced people were with their fertility and family forming needs. With a society that's increasingly starting families at older ages, these services are crucial to people. Across Europe, public health services are limited and vary from country to country, with discrimination against people within the LGBTQ community still happening. And private health services are costly, well into the thousands of pounds or euros, which most people just cannot afford. April have set out to change this. They work with employers to provide the full range of services that a person could possibly need, from egg freezing to IVF to surrogacy and adoption and much more. Diversity and inclusion sit at the core of their business, so everyone, no matter what their need or situation, can get the support they need. Hey Jenny, great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So um, I thought we could start off um, by asking if you could share a little bit about your background, uh, but also like your personal experience that led you to founding a company in the fertility space. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, started April. um, We're a fertility and family forming benefits company uh, at the end of 2019, pretty much based on my own egg freezing experience. Um, Myself, I have a business background. Um, I worked very corporate uh, in companies like T-Mobile, you know, very, uh, very, very corporate. And at some point it was too much for me and I decided to, you know, take the complete opposite uh, path and uh, moved to San Francisco, did my MBA there and really got caught up in the startup ecosystem over there. Um, lived in California for three years and then moved back to Europe. Then started working for a fintech company uh, called Adyen. It's a quite famous Dutch payments company. They then went public uh, a year later. So really um, the dream journey back then. Uh, and so I really enjoyed it. The years went by and then suddenly, yeah, it was 2019. I turned 32, no partner. Also didn't see myself with kids anytime soon. Uh, and then for me, it was a very rational decision to say like, oh, I should probably freeze my eggs uh, to keep my options open for later. Um, and that's how the idea for this whole, like to start something in the fertility space um, was born. Awesome. And um, to chat a little bit about the um, like infertility and like family forming space in general, um, I guess like a good starting point might be actually to help explain like how society's changed over the last like 10, 20 years uh, when it comes to like starting or forming families. Can you share kind of the trends and, and what you've noticed and seen? Yeah, for for us, like, you know, our mission, I mean, we we are around for three years now, but the mission never really changed. We said like, you know, we're getting older and older. We're having kids later and later in life as a society. But the problem is our biology is not moving in the same direction. And so we say, you know, like we're already the average age at first birth um, is already over 30. Um, and, it, you know, we know that at age 35, it suddenly gets harder to get pregnant naturally. So there's not so much time left for us, you know, in, uh, for us as a society. And we, we strongly believe that if the development continues like that, in the long run, the majority of the population will need support with reproductive treatments, fertility treatments. And we said, if we know this, um, you know, why don't we make it more accessible for people? Um, and on top of that, it's not only like um, heterosexual couples that struggle, 
but you, you know we also see there's a development uh, in in also kind of homosexual couples or singles also wanting to start a family more and more and it's like it's this new concept um that we're seeing you know like the the future will look much more diverse and colorful um uh, in in that sense um, but it also means we like the the natural the 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 path that we knew might not uh, be enough anymore uh, and usually these these people also need support with uh, yeah fertility treatments or or other ways to start a family yeah and, and i was going to ask actually like obviously like you just explained there's like a, a range of different people range of different needs could you give um yeah s- some insight into like the different types of services and support options that, are, that people may may need or want yeah so we decided um from the beginning that you know we wanted to be a very inclusive service because what we see is that um so we we offer everything from you know, egg freezing, sperm freezing, IVF, so in vitro fertilization, whatever that might might, might look might look like, um, but also things like adoption or surrogacy, um, at least in those countries where it's allowed, um, because so you know it's like the 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 user journeys can look very very different. Um, you can be you know twenty eight as a woman, you might suffer from endometriosis, so your only chance, probably or very often, is like um, a fertility treatment. Um, you might be like me, like a person like me. I'm, and I'm giving a lot of female examples right now, but like uh, I'm, you know, like in my early 30s, uh, I don't have a partner just yet. So egg freezing was kind of a is is a good option because it pretty much says, you know, I'm keeping the my DNA quality of my younger self uh, and can use it later on if I need, for example, an, an IVF treatment. But they are also kind of. Uh, you know, couples, maybe uh, it's an heterosexual couple. She is 38, the partner, partner is 42. Um, and they've been trying to conceive for uh, a year or two years and it's not working. So very often um, their next step uh, is an IVF treatment. Um, but it can also be, you know, a, a lesbian couple, for example. Um, and they need sperm to kind of, the, the positive thing for them is, you know, they have, usually um, two people that have ovaries that can kind of uh, carry a baby, but still they need sperm. And so they need a sperm donation um, and usually like an insemination, some sort of fertility treatment in that sense as well. And then of course, then you have like the the male the male couple and for them, the options are limit, a little bit more limited um, because, you know, they need a... Uh, a person that has like an uterus or and, and ovaries to kind of carry a baby or they kind of adopt. And so surrogacy adoption is very often um, the, the options they have. And then of course you're, you're a single, also something single woman usually um, very often also means like you need a sperm donation in that sense. I think it just highlighted like it's just a really complex space like there's lots of different options there's lots of different needs out there um and um I guess obviously we're going to talk about April and specifically what you're doing in the space but um putting April to one side for a moment and this might be a tricky question because I know obviously we're kind of talking in the context of Europe um but what are the general options available to people right now in terms of like what's available from like a public versus like private health services and, and like what are some of the like issues with the routes that do currently exist yeah the the problem that exists is that it's a mess out there uh, when you look at Europe you know it's like every in Europe you have like 30 to 40 different countries depending on how you look at it uh, what you define as Europe but like every country has a different healthcare system 
So what is covered by the government or like the public healthcare fund, what's not? Um, you know, there's like, you have like great countries. Um, like I think one of the best countries we've seen so far is, is Israel, for example, where the government's paying everything. Like from, like no matter how many IVF rounds you need, if you're a heterosexual couple, if you're single, they just pay for everything. Versus like um, Ireland, when nothing is paid. Um, and then you have a lot of countries in between. You know, it's like in the UK, um, the NHS is covering for IVF treatments, but only if you live in a certain zip code. Like that doesn't make sense. Uh, in Germany, like uh, insurances are covering 50% for up to three IVF cycles, but only if you're married in a heterosexual relationship. And so I think this is kind of a lot of the differences that are, that are going on. And so this is just the, the funding aspect. The other aspect is the, the regulatory um, level, meaning like what is even allowed and what's not allowed. Uh, you know, there are still countries in Europe, in Austria, for example, where egg freezing is illegal. But at the same time, egg donation is legal then. Whereas when you look to Germany, egg donation is illegal, but egg freezing is allowed. Uh, surrogacy, uh, another example, is legal in almost all the European countries. Um, there are a few exceptions. Also in the UK, if, it's, if we talk about an altruistic surrogacy, that's actually allowed. Uh, altruistic meaning you cannot pay the surrogate mother. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, you can think about, is it an anonymous sperm donation or not? How long can you freeze eggs in different countries? And so it's like a, it's really a mess what's going on. And I think the problem is that a lot of these rule or kind of these laws were kind of um, established probably like 20, 30 years ago. I always say like probably from a white old man. Um, and since then, not a lot has changed. And we see, you know, a lot of kind of movement at the moment in a lot of different countries. I mean, France completely just renewed their 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 laws where the government is, is supposed to pay for much more uh, um, treatments and pretty much covering everything, even egg freezing. Um, the execution of that will probably still take a little bit longer. Um, but we see like countries are trying to change and to to to, to progress. But you know, very often, I mean, in Europe, we're very often also kind of a very uh, Christian democracies in that sense. And so there's a lot of traditional values and people are still scared. And it's like, okay, but you don't want to design a baby. Like, is it actually what I want? Should, should women actually freeze their eggs? Is it, is it, that's not the perfect design of our, of our society. Should same-sex couples even have like children? There's still a lot of opinions and, and uh, uncertainty and concerns about like all these different things. Um, and I think it's fair. It's good to have this conversation um but i think it's also it's important that we have that we have this conversation really and that people learn that you know it's okay we see you don't have to be married to start a family because like you know if you look at the divorce rate in europe anyway 50% of marriages fail and still the children are fine so it's there's it's not a, it doesn't have to be a requirement to start a family and it's like all these conversations i think it's uh, it's it's important to have them hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, like I think you just said, like, you know, a uh, huge amount of complexity, a lot of issues around like access to the services and support you need, um, issues around like inclusivity, um, also talked about cost. Um, I guess to, to talk about cost a bit more and, and to explore like what, what, if you were to go private, can you give some ideas, like how much does it cost? Cause I, I imagine it's at a level where most people would find it's, it's inaffordable. So that's like another big barrier to, to services. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, it kind of varies, right? If you look at fertility treatments, very often we would talk in, in terms of cycles, the cost of a cycle. 
very often people need to go through several cycles to like monthly cycles to to kind of uh, have a successful birth. Also, if we talk about egg freezing, um, very often you have to do more than one uh, freezing cycle because you need a certain amount. So I went through. Let's when we start with egg freezing, right? My case, um, I went through two egg freezing cycles. We usually say. Uh, a one cycle usually costs three and a half to five thousand euros or pounds. Kind of that's the range. So I ended up paying for two cycles, uh, seven and a half thousand euros, which is very similar to pounds in that sense. Um, IVF treatments very similar. Um, you know, you can be lucky. You just need one cycle. Um, but the reality is, uh, most couples need more than one cycle to get pregnant. Probably more like two, three, four, five. And then that's kind of when, we, when you see like, you know, the cost can explode uh, quite quickly. Um, when you think about more adoption cases, okay, of, of course, domestic adoption is, is not a cost issue. But if you think about foreign adoption, because very often in our developed countries, there are not so many uh, adoption children available. It sounds weird, but it's like you have a lot of fostering children that you can foster, but like adoption is a very limited pool of, of, of children that is available. And so that's why a lot of people have to kind of go the, the foreign adoption route. And that can easily still cost like 25, 30,000 uh, pounds. Um, and, you know, if you go then one step further and you talk about surrogacy, even if it's an altruistic surrogacy and you don't pay the surrogate mother, but still you need to pay the agency costs, there's still... Um, fertility treatment involved. You need to have an egg donation because the surrogate mother is usually not donating her own egg in that process, and it can easily cost forty thousand. And then, if you think of the, the most expensive step is like when you when you do like the commercial surrogacy, where that's usually happening in you know the U.S., California, Canada, uh, easily one hundred thousand U.S. dollars and above. Wow! Yeah, this is a lot of money, and, and it, yeah, it is. It is. It is a crazy amount of money. Um, but even if you think about the smaller amounts, right, even like egg freezing, kind of something, seven, eight thousand pounds, it's a lot of money that most people don't have. It's like buying a car. Uh, and, and it's like, and it's also, you know, in, in comparison, you know, the, the, the funny or not so funny aspect is the problem is that the female body is very complex. And hence, like kind of making this egg freezing process, it's not that the, the clinics make of course, I mean, they make money, but it's it's also the process for women is just more complicated. You know, if, if you want to freeze sperm as a man, you just go to a clinic, you probably be in a room for 10 minutes, uh, and then you're out and you pay like maybe 500 pounds. As a woman, you have to go, it's a process of several months. You have to inject yourself with hormones, like medication, very expensive. You have to do ultrasound and and lab work and so on. So it's very it's a, it's an operation in the end. It's very kind of a, kind of an expensive treatment in that sense, and you still end up paying like much more. You know, it's it's just like it's no one's fault. It's just like the system and our the way we des we're designed is just a very different, um, and that's why it's also very often a, a kind of a, a matter of um, yeah in inclusion or or kind of like making it fair. Uh, kind of more equitable for for people definitely yeah no thank you for painting like a really clear picture of like the landscape and how it all works and probably a good time to come back to April then so you, you <laughs> kind of shared a little bit about your background and, and like your experience can you can you talk through going from that point to to you know the journey of starting up April yeah 
Yeah, I mean, you know, when I when I went through the egg freezing process myself, um, I mean, first of all, I, I painfully learned like how intransparent the system is. Um, I think, you know, you know, when I when I decided I want to freeze my eggs, I super naively I went to my gynecologist and said like, look, I'm ready today. Let's start. And I was like, and she looked at me and was like, well, you know, you have to find a fertility clinic to do this. And I had no idea. Only then I realized, right, I had no idea on like how it works, what it costs, where to go. And um, that's kind of how my journey started. I did some research and then started talking to, to doctors and then, you know, also realized, you know, doctors never learn to have a proper sales conversation with you, even though you pay so much money, but it's, it's not what they, what they, what they've been taught. Um, and so I was very frustrated very quickly. And, um, I started complaining uh, to my friends <laughs> and I have a lot of founder friends in Berlin as well. And at some point they said, Jenny, stop complaining, do something about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, kind of that's how I would, they, they kind of pushed me a little bit into that direction. And so I also knew from the beginning, I didn't want to do this alone. So I was in the beginning looking for a female co-founder um, and talked to a lot of people. And, you know, during that time also uh, visited a friend uh, that I still know uh, knew from from uh, earlier earlier years uh, and told him about this. And like a few days later, he actually called me and said, "Like Jenny, does it have to be a female co-founder, or can you also see me at your side?" And that was back then my co-founder Toby. And then together we pretty much uh, you know looked at the landscape. I mean, we didn't both didn't have a medical background, uh, and so we said, "Okay, let's start with a B two C model for egg freezing." for patients and see like what are actually the pain points of patients what are the pain points of clinics what's the dynamic of this whole landscape um and build like a model based on this and it somehow worked in the beginning uh, and we raised our pre-seed round uh together with uh, atlantic labs it's a pre-seed fund out of berlin um and, and a few angel investors um already knowing that this is probably not the business model we're going to do in the long run um it was kind of an a planned pivot uh, that we that we uh, started with, and so once we had the money, we initially we immediately said, "Okay, what's next?" Right? We knew we would, didn't want to become the biggest. It was more like a lead gen model for egg freezing that we built, but it wasn't the impact wasn't big enough. And then we realized, you know, okay, we want to give more people access to, to treatments because we know it's going to be the biggest cost us the biggest challenge. So how can we take this cost out of the equation? Um, and then we said, like, okay, we can either try to make it cheaper somehow or we let someone else pay for it. And, you know, we looked at both models um, and like making it cheaper also involved like having our own clinics and everything, which felt a bit uh, too much <laughs> in the beginning. So we said like, okay, there's this business model in the US that's already quite big, like benefits. You know, the employer is paying for this. And we realized it's like massive in the US. It's like almost 50% of the bigger US companies have some sort of fertility benefit in place. And we realized, you know, this wave is slowly moving over to Europe. Because for the longest time, I think companies thought, okay, our social contract in Europe is so great. You know, the government is paying for healthcare. It's amazing. In the US, that's not the case. That's why the employer always had to kind of contribute um, to healthcare. But in Europe, it's great. And then we realized, you know, but the system has gaps. It has gaps, you know, when it comes to mental health, but it also has gaps when it comes to fertility and family forming. And so, you know, a lot of these, especially US tech companies, realized they want to create benefits parity across their workforce globally. At the same time, but there, there was no provider in Europe that could help to kind of fill this gap and to roll it out with the expertise that's needed. Because again, you know, there are a lot of US providers out there, but in Europe, Europe is so complex, as I explained earlier, so many different countries, so many regulations and so on. 
And so we said like, wow, this is our opportunity. Like we, we're going to build a platform that has, that works with the complexity of Europe in mind. That's kind of how we build it. It's and, and kind of like being our little bit our USP versus the US providers that are already out there. Um, and so, yeah, kind of started building this platform, then um, started selling, learned the hard way that uh, Germany is probably not the best market to start. I mean, we're based, <laughs> we're headquartered in Berlin, um, yeah. which is, I mean, Germany is great, but, you know, it's like not the most progressive country out there uh, in terms of like mindset and, and so on. Um then, but then realize, you know, very quickly that uh, the UK is a much better market for us because a lot of decision makers are, um, or kind of a lot of the European headquarters of these US tech companies are either in London, maybe Dublin or Amsterdam. And that's kind of where we found a lot of decision makers are kind of are. And also this concept of benefits in the UK is already much more advanced. Um, there's so much more going on. There's a whole community. Um, and so... Yeah, we were quite lucky, I think, um, very early on that one of our first customers or bigger customers, at least that we won, uh, was one of the yeah biggest or most well-known uh, US tech companies out there. And I think that was quite nice for us as a, as a starting point, as a proof point that what we build, there's a need for that. Um, and we're now rolling out with them in over 16 countries in Europe. Um, and since then also, you know, added a few further tech companies, um, uh, you know, also the latest edition that we just had is like SoundCloud, like, you know, more there's really these like tech type of companies that have more like an international, international um, approach. Uh, and yeah, and this is kind of how everything, how everything came together. We closed our seed round um, earlier this year as well. Um, and now really trying to, you know, scale the business. Um, we are also, I mean, we're headquartered in Berlin, but we're also building up a team in the UK at the moment um, because we just see that um, there's a lot more happening there. Awesome. Very, very exciting. Um, and in terms of like exploring just how the product works, like could you could you just talk me through? So like if if you know, if, if my employer just signed up to use April and I'm a new user on the platform, like what does that onboarding journey look like? Uh, yeah, how, what what does that user journey look like for me? Yeah. I mean, if in, if a company works with us, all the employees get access to our platform. Um, and we usually, when you as an employee, and it doesn't matter, it's like for, for women, men, couples, singles, whatever your, what your journey looks like. And we usually, when you register as an employee, we ask you a few questions, right? What's your age, your gender? Do you want to have a child now or later? Do you have a partner or not? Is it a same-sex partner or not? Because based on these answers, you have different options. And so once you enter our member portal, you already see content that's customized to your individual situation. And usually like in our member portal, like there's a three-step approach. Um, first is what we call know your options. Second one is find the right clinic or partner. And the third one is get reimbursed. And so for number one, know your options. Um, this is kind of where you have a lot of content. We have our own knowledge center, a lot of articles, and you can just browse through the content. Or you can directly book an appointment with our care team. And these are our in-house consultants. You know, they... Uh, guide you through your options, treatments, success rates, timelines, costs, all these questions. It's now that, you know, most people have, um, because very often, you know, no, most people don't know what their options are. You know, if you tell a woman uh, or, or ask a woman, it's like, do you know that at age 35, 95% of your Excel reserve is gone? They're like shocked because no one has told them ever. Um, if you ask a same-sex couple, do you know what your options are to start a family? They usually have a vague idea but not really, not really for their country and what, what the regulatory aspect is. And so I think this is like where we come in and we can really, we always say like with that, you know, that 
best friend that has seen it all and done it all. And you can just like, and it sticks with you throughout the entire journey. So I think that's really one of the coolest aspects of, of our solution for the employees. And we also see it, our net promoter score is like 100 because it's just like people love that kind of part. And the second, the second part is then find the right clinic or partner because we, we know that a lot of your options probably have to do with a fertility clinic or an agency when it comes to adoption or surrogacy. And so we basically say, you know, you can go to any clinic that's accredited in your country. We have our own database all across Europe, um, but we help you to understand which clinic is right for you. We will never say you should go to that one clinic because it's our partner clinic. We say like, you know, you decide, but you probably have certain criteria. And um, because what we, what we realize is that when people need a clinic because it is so stigmatized, they secretly go on Google and say like fertility clinic London. And then you get a long list of results. But where do you actually go? You know, and, and, and most people end up going to the clinic that pops up first. And maybe that's the one with the highest marketing budget, but maybe not the right one for you. Because let's say you have endometriosis as a woman or PCOS, or you had several miscarriages already, or you are a same-sex couple. And so different clinics have different specializations and different, you know, the, do you want to go... You need uh, flexible opening hours. It's probably a bigger chain and you, your doctors might change all the time or do you want to stay with the, with the same doctor all the time and then you're not so flexible. So there are a lot of different criteria that we can apply. Um, and so then off you go and we help you to make the first appointment and so on. Um, and then the last part, the third number three, is the get reimbursed part. And this one's optional for companies, but ideally your employer gives you a certain budget that you can use towards the treatment. Let's say five... 5,000 pounds, 10,000 pounds, a virtual budget, right? It's not that you don't get just a payout. But if you get an invoice from a clinic, you can upload that invoice to our platform. We, you know, do the claim management and kind of check, is, there, is the name correct? Is the clin does the clinic exist? Is the treatment legal in the country of employment? And then make sure that the money gets paid out to the employee's bank account. And that's kind of the summary roughly of the, of the solution. If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io, where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you'll be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, no, really clear. And like I said, it just takes away a lot of the... Um, uh, the, the headache, the um, lack of information that, that people are used to. Um, so can 100% see why, why employees are loving that. Um, from an employer perspective, um, and I'm not asking for your like full sales pitch, but I just wondered like in terms of the ROI from an employer perspective and like why is a business someone, you know, a company should use uh, or provide, sorry, a, a platform like April, like what, what are the benefits for them? Yeah. I mean, of course, right? It's like, I think our solution... Whereas in the US, fertility benefits is like a cost-saving mechanism. I think what we see in Europe, it's more and more, it's a diversity and inclusion effort. Um, because like what most companies struggle with, what they all struggle with is like, you know, talent. Um, I know we still see a lot of layoffs at the moment, but still the ones that are still in your company, you want to keep them and you still want to attract the right ones, right? And so... Um, I think this is one part. And the second problem that most companies have is diversity and inclusion. How do I get more women uh, into management positions? How do I make sure that my LGBTQ community is happy? You know, how do I show that uh, I'm a family-friendly uh, uh, environment? I mean, this is what the, the millennials, what the next generation, what they want, right? That you need to kind of show. 
And the point is, it's very hard to measure diversity inclusion ROI unless you kind of have certain KPIs for, in, for your company in place. So usually when I go in, I usually ask companies, what are your goals as a company? Do you have certain KPIs that you need to achieve uh, other than just revenue? But like, do you have certain, you know, you want to increase the woman's, the female share, or do you want to increase the LGBTQ share or whatever it is? And then let's build the case around this because what other options do you have? The question is like, people always say like, yeah, I'm not sure if this will re bring the return. And I'm asking like, what else do you do? You know, it's not enough to put a rainbow flag on your, on your uh, website. Uh, it's it's not enough to have just like a, oh, we have employee resource groups. You need to put real tangible measurements in place. And I mean, as I said earlier, uh, fertility is one of the biggest uh, challenges that our generation is facing. 15% of the population struggle with infertility, but people with an academic background struggle the most. There's data that shows that um, 50% of women with an academic background do not have kids at age 35 and half of them stay childless. And where do you think all these women work? Probably in like your startup, uh, in your consulting company, your law firm. Um, and it's it's all these like, you know, super skilled people that are affected. And I think, you know, offering them a solution and saying like, I want you to have children. I don't care when, how and with whom, but I have your back. I think it's one of the strongest activities you can do. Agree. Like I, 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 I'm a recruiter. A lot of what I do is around talent <laughs> attraction. But speaking to companies about um, yeah, attraction, engagement, and retention, and I, I think that's a very powerful message to go to market with. And it's something that would actually really differentiate a company as well. As a recruiter, I don't see that as a benefit that's listed at many places, sadly. But I know if it was, that would be like a standout thing that people would be like, "Wow, that's incredible!" Like you know, we're trying or we're going through something at the moment. And then to know like the company actually could help with that is a, is a big, big plus. Yeah. And, and I mean, just to, to um, respond to that, you don't see it at many companies because it's also very new, right? And it's also fair. Um, I mean, it started in the US, I would say around 2014, you know, Cheryl, when Cheryl Sandberg announced, you know, we're going to do this for all our employees at Facebook back then. And then you saw immediately the Googles and Apples and Amazons, everyone followed. Uh, two years later, the banks, the consulting firms followed. And today, like eight years later, you have like even the supermarket chains like Walgreens announcing it. And it's also a beautiful, you know, kind of development it means like also people with that are not kind of the highest paid workers have access to these type of benefits. And what, what happens in Europe now, we're at year zero. You know, it's like we're just about, this, 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 this development is just kicking off. And so it's okay, you, you, you're not seeing it just yet, but it will happen. And there's a lot of noise around this topic. Um, and I, I'm 100% I'm convinced that in the next, you know, eight to 10 years, this will become a standard here as well. I, I really hope so. Um, and... Looking ahead, um, I know you mentioned already, like, you know, you've, you've run some really great customers, uh, expanding the team in the UK, um, going live in like 16 countries. Um, what, what's, what's like some of the other big things in the roadmap over the next couple of years that you're really excited about? So for us, we say, we always say, you know, fertility was the entry point for us, uh, into, into the market. So there's a gap. Um, and of course, uh, you know, we jumped on this, but like, you know, let's say we helped you on your fertility journey and then suddenly you're pregnant. Do we want to add a pregnancy module? What about like your parent? Do we want to add parent parental module? There's like a lot of noise around menopause. So I think in the long run, we are more thinking, 
we want to become the inclusive benefits provider of choice, you know, supporting people on these like life changing uh, moments uh, in their life. Um, and I think it's, a, it's also a very different approach to a lot of other benefits uh, platforms out there. So, you know, there will be the platforms for your mobility budget and your gym membership, but we're kind of more in this like, you know, very personal, uh, in, in, yeah, personal life change, life stage. I don't know. I don't know have a proper word for it <laughs> now, but like kind of that's where, where we kind of want to, want to be positioned. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, um, in terms of like the, the big dream for, for April in terms of like what you, if you, you know, in terms of what you'd love for the business to achieve, is, is it going back to what you said a minute ago where like within the decade, this just becomes the norm or, or is there something else that you have like a big plan? Yeah, totally. I think I just like, I think it's one of the ideas. If you, if you can, if you think about that, we could achieve this becoming a norm. And also at some point, you know, the, the Tesco employees and kind of like, in 10 years, like everyone has access to this, you know, think about like what impact this would have on society and like people like really having more families, more diverse concepts also of families. I think that's a super uh, beautiful and kind of uh, goal fighting for. Oh, couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, and then to talk a little bit about you, your journey as a founder. Um, earlier, you mentioned that you, you know, you had you had the idea, you wanted to do this, um, but you were looking for a co-founder. Um, what what made you want a co-founder? And then, second question is, uh, how do you know Toby was the right person? Mm, I, I think for me, it was super clear that I need someone. I'm not a soul. Uh, yeah, I, I needed a team, and I, I think I knew I wanted to have someone that you know, I can bounce ideas with. And then looking back, I think it's it's been the smartest decision for me. I mean, I have so much respect for people that do this alone. I couldn't. It's like, you know, having a co-founder is like, you know, there's always someone that has your back. It's also shared responsibility. It's And it's it's almost like therapy. It's like you need, you only have that one person that is has the same struggles, that has the same pressure from investors, but also the same struggles with your employees. You cannot... You need someone on that level. At least I need someone on that level. Um, and I think it's been like the best decision ever. Um, how did I know he's the right fit? I think Toby and I, we actually met in San Francisco um, and we just be, became friends um, since then. Um, we have a, I wouldn't say, sim fairly similar background, also more business background. And I think in the beginning it was more like, um, I think there were two questions. A, does it make sense to have like two people with a business background starting a company um, that probably needs more like tech support? Um, and for us, it turned out it's actually, we're actually a great fit. Um, I think personality-wise, we're slightly different, uh, which is great. Um, there's a lot of friction, of course, but it's like, you know, the way we split the work is that I do everything that's more externally facing from sales, marketing, investor relations, all these things. Um and Toby is more focused on the internal things from like, you know, product, operations, finance, data, and so on. Um, and I think this is also where we, we, we always find a good balance. You know, it's like, I'm always just like, oh, let's do this and big ideas and something new. And Toby's always like, yeah, we need to kind of fix this and kind of nitty gritty. And so I think it's a really great balance. Um, the other point we're asking about in the beginning is also, do I want to start a company with a friend? 
you know, is mm, my friendship yeah. worth more than uh, kind of like the business? And I think we were very clear in the beginning. At least I remember I said like, Toby, you know, we need to be aware that this could cost us our friendship um, and our friendship will change. Um, and it also did. Um, it's also okay, right? It's like if when you have a lot of friction, especially in the beginning, um, you don't want to spend your weekends together anymore <laughs> because you need a little bit of time to, yeah, you yeah. know, kind of, yeah put yeah steam off a little bit but um it actually became now better ag again i think there was a time where we like you know needed to figure out like this uh storming phase was uh was was a bit crazy but um i think now we're actually uh better friends than ever before um which which is great um we also started coaching um which i think is a is a luxury thing to do but it's also super great um if if you can't afford it it's it's you know, it's just like talking about things that you usually, you know, sometimes you, you just don't mention and it's not just bringing them out and having them in front of you kind of forces you to, to kind of do something with them. And it's, 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 it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. I imagine like I, I I don't have like a business coach so it's, but I do therapy and I find just the process of actually getting stuff out of your head and talking out loud and having someone chat to you about it that doesn't have a bias or an interest is is very very helpful um so I could definitely see how that that, that works um next one's a tricky question um but I wondered if I was to ask your team what the best and worst thing is about working with you Jenny what do you think they'd say <laughs> 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 I think no I I'm it's not so tricky and I can also be very transparent uh, about it. I think the best thing is that everyone gets a lot of responsibility very early on. Um I think I'm I come from a from a culture back at Adian my my previous job where you know they always said like Jenny we hired you to make the right decision so make the right decision. Um and I love that. It's kind of where I was striving so I try to give that same responsibility to people as well. The downside of that is if you're not performing well, you will also feel it. Um, and you know, it's because I'm a very transparent person. It's like, I'm a very bad liar. It's like, if you, you will always see and feel what I'm thinking uh, and what I'm feeling. Um, and so I like my feedback is also that I'm very harsh in giving feedback, not personally, but I think a lot of time, you know, when people come, come to work, at, at startups, they're always like, oh yeah, I want to have this, like, you know, I want to have an impact and I want to, you know, change something and feel it. And I always told, always tell them also now when we hire people, it's like, you know, the downside, you need to be aware. The downside is the roller coaster is intense. It's like, you feel the high is like super high, but also the down, you will feel it and it will be not nice. You, will, you need to be prepared to kind of go through these hard times as well, because feedback also sucks sometimes. You know, it's like, it's not nice. Uh, and of course, I think that's kind of uh, the reality of working with me. Um, I'm also trying to package my feedback a bit nicer, but um, it's it's a journey. It's a journey for sure. It definitely is. And like you said, you know, there's there's huge pros to work for a startup. Um, but it was also that there's other bits where there is nowhere to hide. You know, everyone has to be operating at a certain level. Um, and, and yeah, and, and if you're not, sometimes you're going to get that feedback that you have to be able to take on board and, and improve from. So um, I think that's all very fair. Um, I want to find a bit of just chatting to you a bit about kind of building a, a tech for good business. Um, so I just wondered, like, what, what have you and Toby been very conscious of getting into place early on to make sure that the company grows the way you wanted to as you add more and more people into the mix? Mm. You, I mean, you always think when you start a company, you have everything under control. Um, mm -hmm. 
and then you know you in retrospect you realize uh, you did not um, and I think hiring for us is a is a very tricky is a very tricky task um, I think we're getting a bit better now as well but in you know you don't know in the beginning you don't know to ask the right questions you don't know what what's really important to you you're just excited to kind of bring people on board and kind of build stuff and then in the long run you just realize mm, maybe it's not the right character for a startup and maybe it's not you know you also shouldn't hire too specific in the beginning I and mean, we we started as a b2c model hired people and then we pivoted and we realized a lot of the people that we hired initially are not flexible enough to kind of move yeah, yeah. To kind of this b2b path and so you know it's like in the beginning, hiring more generalists instead of like specialists. You know, sometimes specialists are a bit cheaper. That's why you, you we hired them and then realized it, it wasn't the smartest move from, from our side. And I think also culturally, like how do you bring on board very early on these like culture drivers? That's what we call them. Uh, and, and I think that's why we are now almost in a position where we are a bit too picky um, and where we struggle a bit with like filling the the most crucial roles, um, but you know it's like very often because we are B two B two C model, so we have a lot of departments, and we always say you know like the first person in that department is going to be that face and that and that character of the company, and so we us it's so important for us that it's a match and that we are, it doesn't have to be a, a twin of us, but it's more like still is this person driving the culture that we want. Um, and so I think that's kind of the biggest challenge, but also biggest learning for us. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's the right way to go about it. Better to be selective and bring the right people in, even if it takes a bit more time than bringing in people that aren't quite right. And then you have to like fix that problem along the way anyway. Yeah. But again, in, in theory, right. It's like this, you rather wait, but it's also your startup and you're running on someone else's uh, kind of uh, uh, money. So it's like, it's always just like at some point you have to make a decision and it's, it's, it's super painful sometimes. Yeah. No, no, I think that's the constant dilemma of founders <laughs> when hiring. Um, continue on the, the topic of hiring. Um, yeah, I've, I've done some recruitment in Berlin. I know it's, it's incredibly competitive. There's lots of good tech companies out there. And I know you just mentioned about kind of moving into the UK and building out a team. Um, so, uh, I just wondered how, like, how you feel April competes in a crowded marketplace? Like, what is it that you do that makes you stand out to like top talent? I think the, advantage that we have is that we have a good mission uh, and a purpose that everyone fully that fully is fully behind and I think um, in today's environment I think where everyone is searching for you know more purpose and doing something good in the world I think it's it's a it's a great advantage to have um and it's still, it's a challenge. Um, I mean, there's so much you would think there's so much, um, you know, with all these layoffs, you would think there's so much talent floating around. But, you know, at the same time, the environment that we're in right now also creates a lot of uncertainty. People rather want to go in a more stable, maybe series B, C, D company, or even like in a corporate environment where, you know, everything is a bit more stable. And, you know, stability is the one thing that we don't have. Uh, it's it's a constant kind of challenge. We always have to go through fundraising rounds and we try to also be very transparent about this because we want people that are aware that can, you know, can take these uncertainties as well. Um, so yeah, not sure if I, if I answered uh, the question fully, um, but 
that's kind of the the challenge we have, but also the advantage in that sense. Yeah, no, I think that's a challenge that everyone faces. And and and, and sorry, sorry to interrupt, but one thing, and maybe also I'd love to hear like your view because I mean you interview a lot of people for you know that have like impact startups. But what we also need to be a bit careful about is that you know when you have an impact startup, you also sometimes attract a lot of people that you know we just want to do like impact stuff but then you don't necessarily have these super hustlers that just want to get stuff done and being very careful about this you know it's it's very sometimes hard to kind of make a cut and saying like i know you want this and you love our mission and you really want to help here but you made your character might not be if still not a fit for our company um i'm not sure if if i'm the first person to to mention this or like if you've heard this a few times but would love to hear your, your view on that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really fair point. I think um, that that's that's the pro and con. Like when you have uh, such an impactful mission, it's going to attract a lot of people. But then the job is actually like filtering out the people that, um, like you said, you know, are, are really bought into the mission, but just don't have the skill set or the mindset to to do what you need them to do. And I think that's the the part of the hiring process that needs to to be able to filter those people out. As, as well meaning as they are, they're just not going to get you to to where you need to get to. Um, so yeah, I think from from my point of view, the things that can make you stand out are the kind of hygiene factors, like good salaries, good tech stack. Uh, I'm talking from a product and tech perspective, which is where I do most of my stuff. Um, uh, you know, uh, a flexible working setup, whether that's remote, hybrid, whatever works for you. I think there has to be a good level of flexibility offered to people, um, you know, a decent amount of autonomy in the role. I think those are all things that are just expected within the product and tech market. And then the real standout thing is like the mission and the impact you can have within that business. Um, so that's like kind of like how to attract people. And then the bit you're talking about is like the assessment that comes with it, which is like you having a, a structured, rigorous process, which is streamlined, but allows you to make sure that you're getting the the mindset, values, skill set, all of those bits you need in that person to do what you need them to do. Yeah, okay, perfect. And thanks for kind of uh sending me these reminders. I think uh, <laughs> from a from a benefit from a no from a also from a benefits perspective, right? It's mm. because we are a benefits company. Of course, we also sat down and said like, what do we actually want to offer? Um and so for us we kind of um of course, we have like a flexible, we have like a remote, kind of a hybrid uh, working setup, a few days in the office, a few days work from home. You can work uh, remotely like a month uh, in a year. You, um, we, kind of, we kind of implemented three benefits. First, of course, fertility benefits, uh, of course. That's kind of a, a no-brainer. And we also implemented mental health benefits. We're working with a provider that provides our employees with, uh, with therapists. Um, and the third one was the mobility, the mobility benefits. So we either pay for public transport or you get an electric bike. Um, that's a little bit the, the setup that we uh, provided. And then, of course, the, the, the second part you mentioned is the process. We also sat down and really uh, kind of wrote down what is our hiring process. Like how can how we can close around or kind of a position from first conversation till uh, closing within, I don't know, uh, three weeks. Um, maximum and kind of like these things who needs to actually be involved do we want to include a case presentation reference calls like what's the you know getting a little bit of routine into that process so that's also for the for the um, for the talent a nice experience um, and I think that's also that also really helped I think the feedback that we got is that we have a really a professional uh, process in place Great and my last question was actually going to be around kind of that because I noticed you'd, you'd invested in like HR and talent um 
quite early on compared to other kind of businesses at your stage. Have, have you found that's been a real big help when it comes to like how you attract talent, engage it, retain retain talent because you have invested in that skill set and that knowledge early on? Yeah, but I think we we did that because we were struggling uh, in the beginning, and then of course, like you know, when you analyze your, your the situation, you realize okay, uh, what type of talent do we want to attract, and what other companies do we compete with? And I realized, okay, we need to step up our game, otherwise that this is not working out. Um, and of course, because we have a lot of HR advisors and, and investors also on our side, we of course leveraged that and said, like, you know, what's your experience? Like, what are the best practices uh, from 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 your end? And uh, that's why I implemented that very early on. But like, big kudos to also Toby. I think that's kind of his uh, his responsibility also on that side. So uh, processes, <laughs> proper processes in place. Uh, that's uh, yeah, definitely good. Definitely. So I guess kind of wrapping things up then, um, in terms of obviously you're hiring at the moment. So anyone listening that be interested, uh, check out the careers page on your website. Um, but for people kind of more generally looking to follow the, the April journey, where's best to follow you on socials? Uh, LinkedIn. I think it's our, our major, major channel. Um, also website, some blog posts, but I think LinkedIn is like, please follow us. Um, we have like, you know, we're, not, we're trying not to be super salesy, but kind of sharing also updates, like what's happening in the world. Um, what are changes from a regulatory aspect, from a regulatory aspect and what are good stories that, that uh, you should know about. Um, so yeah, follow us, please. Definitely. Well, Jenny, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for coming on the show and I uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.